So I think that, you know, getting the right team in place and making sure that your branding is on point from the very beginning is really, really important. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. This week's We Are LA Tech shout out goes to Matt Hesse. Matt, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right. I should know it by now. Matt is incredible. He won the prices right, even with the We Are LA Tech experience when we all went out as a group. Matt has been a huge fan and supporter of We Are LA Tech for a long time, really supportive of me and everything. Be sure to say hello to Matt on LinkedIn. That's M A T T and the last name H E I S I E. Amazing amazing LA Tech entrepreneur. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Hey, hey, hey. So, okay, for today's personal spot, I'm actually just gonna share with you something that I posted on my Twitter. And if you wanna check out my Twitter, that's just at Esprit Devora, E-S-P-R-E-E-D-E-V like Victor, O-R-A. So I know the newest craze is audio social networking, right? Like Clubhouse, everyone's talking about Clubhouse and it was so exciting that I was the face on the app icon of Clubhouse. That was a really, really, really cool experience. And now it's exploding, it's past a million listeners. So one of the things with all the social networking apps that I put on my Twitter is the various audio social networking apps happening because we should really be exposed to all of them. So as I mentioned, there's Clubhouse, there's another one called Stereo, there's Twitter Spaces, so Twitter just launched one. I heard that Instagram just launched one too, but I, or is about to launch one. And there's Chalk App, and so that's chalkapp.com. Then there is Space App, and that's different than Spaces, so that's joinspace.co. And then there is Soapbox, and so you go to soapbox.social. And then last but not least, we have Sonar, and that's S-O-N-A-R at dot app app and so check those out um those are all like really interesting audio social networks i do think audio social networking is the new new it's where everything's going i know there's a lot of conversation on how will that affect podcast listenership and content maybe i'll talk about that another time but it's been really exciting and the difference between all of these i'll just give you a breakdown real quick so for example clubhouse i feel is like a great place to learn obviously extremely popular right now. So, so much content. And it's also a place to be a speaker and to get noticed and to form more connections. Stereo is like instant podcasting. You just start podcasting with random people around the world. It's really exciting and they make it really easy to share the audio bites on social. Twitter spaces is great for general conversation with just tweet people in the Twitter sphere, right? I think just a thousand people have access to it. And so if you're following someone that has access to a Twitter Spaces account, that's how you'll see the room at the top of the app only. It's not on desktop. 
Chalk app is on both desktop and mobile app, and that is for audio conversations. Space app, same thing for audio conversations. And the cool thing about Chalk app and Space app, it's like a lot of topics, like people will put their topic down, or you could use it for your fan base, or you could use it for your group. So there's many different ways to use it. So these aren't necessarily social networks. They're used mildly as social networking now, but they may just become something that you could use for your own company. Soapbox is for spontaneous conversation with random people. So it is actually for that reason. So it doesn't have topics and rooms, that kind of thing. And then Sonar is a really interesting experience where you have a visual component to, again, meeting people in kind of like an audio social networking atmosphere. So here, I'll just go through them one more time. And I think we'll include the link to my tweet in the show notes as well. So you have that super easy. So that's uh, Clubhouse, Stereo, Twitter Spaces, Chalk App, Space App, Soapbox, and Sonar. And I do hear that Instagram is coming out with one too. I haven't been on Instagram yet today, so maybe it's already happened, but just heads up. Hope that helps. Enjoy the next episode. Tech Podcast, spotlighting LA Tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest, who I have known for a while. Welcome, Rachel. Hello. Let me tell you guys about Rachel. I have been like on the receiving end of Pod People, her company, and it is amazing. So glad to have you on the show. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. It's so good to see you. So exciting. Okay, so go ahead to kick things off. Share with everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I run a podcast production company, and we also operate as a staffing agency for freelance audio professionals. So whether you just need someone to help out with a project or supplement your existing team, all the way to full-service audio production for podcasts, audiobooks, you name it. I love pod people. I talk about pod people to everybody whenever I share with them about podcasting because it's like super legit. (laughs) Like all you do as a creator, as a producer, as a talent, as someone in in production, you just go to pod people and then magically you get gigs. It's, it's, it is kind of the best. I feel like it's a win-win situation because we charge the clients on the client side because they're the ones getting the service, right? So we can source the right team or make it for them and pull the right team together for us to oversee, but they're the one who's in need of the service. So yeah, we've never charged the folks in our community, the creators, which is really important to me. Uh, So basically, we're just bringing them great gigs and saying, you know, we think this is a fit for you. Are you available and interested? I love recommending pod people because it's this like magical resource and it feels like one of those things in life that's too good to be true and it literally is that true. I've personally experienced it so I'm not just saying it as like, oh, I want to support you. Like legitimately, I signed up for pod people and then I just got exposed to a bunch of opportunities as a professional podcaster. Well, let's bring it back for a second. When did you first become interested in business and technology? Ooh, God. Okay, we're going way back. So I was working at an agency in DC in like 2008-ish, a creative agency. So I was overseeing all of their social media 
accounts for clients and like the National Guard was like our biggest account. So I was teaching all of the, you know, marketing departments of the National Guard of the different states and territories how to use social media as a recruitment tool. It was a really interesting job, but I loved working with our smaller clients, more of the startups. And DC had a very small startup scene at the time anyway. And so I moved to San Francisco and took a job with Adobe, even though that's a giant company. It was a tech company. It was a good job. And it got me to San Francisco. So I was there for about a year and was still looking at startup jobs and was like, I definitely want to go somewhere smaller because I just love being able to have such a big impact in a short amount of time. So I joined Sidecar, which was an Uber Lyft competitor, RIP, had a lot of fun and learned so much because we were like a lean team. So everyone had to do everything. And I was there for a bit. And then I moved down to Los Angeles to take a job as the head of communications at Dog Vacay, which has since been acquired by Rover. Again, same thing. Learned so much there. We had the best marketing team, as we called it. Loved puns. Puns were a crucial part of our marketing strategy. And After a few years there, I was like, okay, I've learned so much, but I'm still hungry to have an even greater impact. So I started my own company, which was a PR firm doing communications and content marketing for early stage startups. So primarily seed and series A startups in Los Angeles, especially uh, fintech and marketplaces and HR tech and all kinds of good stuff. And I loved that. I loved running my own company. I had a partner and Ashwarya Iyer, who you might have had on here. She's the founder of Brightland Olive Oil now. Anyway, we had a blast working together, but we both kind of got burnt out on PR, blah, 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 state of journalism today. It's a nightmare. So we were trying to figure out what we'd like to do next. And we were hoping we could it would be a joint venture. But ultimately, she like stumbled upon the idea of Brightland and was so excited about it. And I've always been obsessed with podcasts. And I realized as I was looking at, you know, the way the industry is changing, and this is, you know, 2015, that it was going to be sort of the next content frontier for branded content. Completely. Yeah. And then you launched Pod People shortly after that? Yeah, we launched Pod People in 2017, so about a year of like preparation and letting it percolate in my brain before I was ready to make the jump. It's been just a wild ride ever since, thanks to the years that I did spend in tech and PR. Our first clients that we made podcasts for were Samsung Next and Twitter and Medium. So we were like off to the races very quickly, and as we grew over time, we were staffing up all the teams we needed for each project and amassed this Rolodex of super talented producers, editors, engineers, sound designers, etc. And I realized, oh, this is the beginning of a marketplace. As the industry is growing, there's such a need for these kinds of talented folks, and they're really hard to find because it's so fragmented and everybody works for themselves. So freelancer, gig economy, waiting to be organized. And I'm like, great, we have you know access to all these great jobs with these clients, and we've got the talent pool. We can be the person who brings the right people to the right projects not just being a fragmented community of talent, but also a lot of people call themselves, for example, editors, and they actually can't edit audio. Yes, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big thing. Like when I am looking for different talent, I, it's funny because I know my editor's listening to this, so he'll know my process. Yeah, but but she can cut tape, so. (laughs) So I'm just like going through like tons and tons of people and I'm blown away by how many people call themselves an audio editor or podcast editor. I'm like, uh, nope. 
<laughs> yeah. I think what they mean is that they're a story editor. So they would take the pieces of the story and figure out how they're going to fit together. But that's very different than actually cutting the tape in Pro Tools or Hindenburg or whatever. Rachel, I think you're being too kind. I think it's like everybody calling themselves a social media expert because they have an iPhone. Like, yeah, <laughs> like there's no, a little of that. It's I'm just sure. a trendy job title and people are trying to capitalize. It's true. But actually, one of the problems we find with the community is that people are too humble and they don't know how to th- sell themselves. So a lot of what we do is also like convincing people what their skill set really is and how experienced they really are. And most importantly, what kind of money they should be asking for. I love that. I love that. One of my favorite parts of your company is how much you build on community. And you put a lot of effort behind community. Let's get into what that is, but has it paid off? Like, is it worth it? Oh, 100%. I mean, just for me personally, I don't want to build a company where that's not a piece of it. That to me is what makes it feel good and like why you are excited to wake up and go to work that day is because you're creating something that helps people and that allows people to get the resources they need, get the jobs they need, find help they need from each other. Like one of the things we do is also internal matchmaking. If one of our producers is working on an indie show and they need a sound designer or they need help learning how to sound design, we can play matchmaker within the community too so that everyone can sort of skill share, which is super fun. But it's so kind that you say that, but I actually feel like we have a lot more to do in the community department. So we just hired a senior community manager, Tyler Green. He's only been with us a month and a half, I think, but I feel like he's been with us since forever. And the stuff he has planned for this year is going to blow your mind. He's built out a whole team underneath him, too, because now the community is almost a thousand people. So, you know, having one poor community manager in charge of keeping all those folks engaged and making sure what they have, you know, they have what they need is crazy. So now we have a whole team that's solely dedicated to building out the resources that everyone needs and making sure that this is like something people really want to be part of. Let's get into what you've done to curate the community because not everybody knows what I know. So talk to us a little bit about the efforts that you put in into the community building and in your physical events pre-pandemic and what you're doing now in the 2021 era. (laughs) Yeah. So this year, we're really planning on building out educational resources, you know, creating rate cards and defined roles and responsibilities that all of our folks can refer to. We also want to create, this will be later this year because it's a little bit more complicated, but a calculator where people can, our producers can calculate and clients could calculate what should they be paying (laughs) and producers can calculate what should they be charging for all of the different facets and what kind of show it's for. You know, so script writing, intro, outro, narration for an interview show is obviously a much lower lift than doing it for a nonfiction narrative show or certainly a fiction show. So those should be taken into account as well as the type of client, you know, is this for a nonprofit or a radio station versus branded versus Amazon Music getting into the game now and hopefully we'll have, you know, good pay market rates for their their producers that they're bringing onto projects. So that's something we're super excited to do. And then, yeah, Unfortunately, we did super fun events last year, not last year, because now last year is 2020, in 2019 and 2018, where we would get the community together in LA, especially because that was our home base, but also New York and San Francisco do little meetups when we had conferences there and, and get 
people face to face and talking and and we would beforehand do some mentor mentee matching so that we could make sure and introduce people in person at the event that we knew would be helpful to each other. So now we're going to take that all virtual. And so that's another one of Tyler's big projects this year. We're going to figure out the right way to do that. We're also going to do the fun stuff. Like, I don't want to just you know, be like, what do you need? Here's, you know, just have it be transactional stuff. We want to do really fun events where they're like game nights or where, you know, a mini hackathon where we pair people up and give them a prompt and within 10 minutes they need to pitch the show. And financially, we also want to start funding pilot episodes from the community. You know, we would put out a prompt and say, pitch us your best idea and then fund the pilot and help them shop it around to networks or even make it ourselves as an original. So we got lots of plans for 2021. There's a great new company. It's an LA tech company called 30 Friends. And so have Tyler check that out. It's uh, great for these kind of happy hours or even like a connective pitch. So it doesn't feel so serious, you know, but just a great tool for community building 30 Friends. And it's a new LA tech company. Awesome. I'll check it out. The thing that I love most about LA is how creative the people here are in every way. I mean, you never know when you meet someone, and I also find people very easy to like talk to and get to know here, but you never know what someone's going to tell you that they do. Like I was talking to a bartender in Silver Lake and he's like, oh yeah, I teach, I forget what it was, history at the monastery in like 10 minutes away. It's like, what monastery is in Hollywood? It's just so cool. When you ask people what they do, you just have no idea what they're going to say. And it always is such an interesting conversation start. You know how they say people in Los Angeles will tell you, when you ask them what they, what they do for a living, they'll tell you what their aspiration is. And I love that. I love that about LA. You've been to Rita House, which was the co-working space that I work out of pre-pandemic, of course. And we had our events there as well. And they're so welcoming and really intentionally foster that kind of community that I think everyone's looking for, where it's like interesting, weird, earnest, engaged people who are, you know, down to connect and figure out how to collaborate or help you. And so we loved having our events there and and hope to do it again uh, (laughs) post-vaccine. Because <laughs> it really does foster that. And there are so many places like that. Like Rita House happened to be my home for live events pre-pandemic and, and co-working. But there's so many like that. I feel like you constantly see really thoughtful events and spaces pop. Like it just seems like the whole city is focused on creativity and collaboration. And it's so special. And you mentioned Techstars. So were you part of Techstars LA or were you a different chapter of Techstars? We were the LA Techstars class of 2020 this summer with Anna Barber, who was the whole reason that I went into the program and became, you know, I don't have a co-founder, so she was basically my co-founder for the program, my mother, my business coach, my therapist, God bless Anna Barber, and the whole program. Everyone who organized it, the mentors that we met, which I talked about, were just so valuable. I feel like I got two years of very specific business school for my company in three months. Where was Pod People before Techstars and where was Pod People after Techstars? So the main difference was helping us figure out what our product should look like. So we were doing the staffing and matchmaking that I was talking about before manually. And in Techstars, we figured out 
okay, we're going to, this is working. So we're going to build some tech for it and an actual dashboard where clients can submit job tickets and we'll help them figure out what they're looking for. And then they can see the matches, all the candidates for each role and interview them and select who they want to work with, et cetera. So we're building all of that right now. But what we were trying to figure out in Techstars was, should this be a big open marketplace, you know, like a specialized Upwork where people can look through the candidate, all of them for themselves and like do a filtered search. And the answer was, no, this should be a managed marketplace where you get a curated shortlist of the top candidates for your specific role because the industry is so niche. And most of our clients don't necessarily know exactly who they need. So through a series of questions, different processes that we're building out currently, thanks to the guidance of Techstars, we'll be able to tell them who they need and then give them the perfect five people for that role instead of them just scrolling through an endless list. You know, kind of like going to a restaurant and seeing the perfect menu of a few items where you can't decide which one you want because they all look so good. And you brought up Anna Barber. Tell us more about her. Oh, she's incredible. So Anna Barber was the managing director of Techstars for years. I mean, at least four years, since it started there, I think, which was 2017. So four years. And she has done such an incredible job. Every person that I talked to who was an alum had nothing but rave reviews for her and the program because of her. So I am so grateful that I got to be her last class. I'm sure they'll choose someone incredible, but For me, she was just the perfect fit for me, especially because she had such a focus on making sure her founder classes were super diverse in all ways, you know, type of company and also melanin. And I think our class was like 50-50 male-female founders. I mean, just incredible. I joked that when we'd all log into Zoom, it looked like the brochure for a college that was trying (laughs) to prove how diverse their (laughs) students were. But it was legit. And everyone was so kind. There was no ego, at least in our class, like, Everyone was just earnest and just trying to help each other. And it was an incredible experience. And she moved on to where? She did. She just started at M13. The Room Brothers run that firm. I can't wait. She only started, so I haven't got to check in with her yet, but I'm sure she's loving it. And what does it look like to be a part of the Techstars LA program? I know you received massive mentorship. Do the companies also get a bit of funding? Does Techstars end up owning a piece of your company? What does that look like? So Techstars takes 6% of your company in exchange for you going through the program. And then you can also take a $100,000 convertible note, which made sense for a lot of the companies because they were brand spanking new, hadn't made revenue yet, and so it had a $3 million valuation cap on it. We actually turned down that note because we've already been around and operating and are profitable. So that piece of it didn't make sense for us. But if you do need seed funding, you know, that's a great way to go about it and at least be able to build out your product or hire the first couple team members that you need or just pay yourself to be able to get through the first couple years. So I think that would be really, really useful if you were, you know, a seed or pre-seed stage company or even just an idea. And normally I ask who's an LA tech talent or company you've come across who's really impressed you. And sounds like Anna Barber is one of those people. Is there another company that you'd like to mention, maybe someone in the Techstars program with you? Ooh, I feel bad. Because you can't say, yeah. But I, I actually will. I will put a stake in the ground. There were two in particular that I thought were just so creative. The first is Ayana Therapy. So Eric is the founder of Ayana, and we were the two solo founders, so we also just bonded. But Ayana's goal is to make sure that um, underrepresented groups have access to therapy. 
that simple, you know, black, brown, immigrant, queer, whatever it may right. be, that you have access to therapy because it can be cost prohibitive. So that's their goal. And what he's doing there is so important, especially in 2020. I was like, you picked the right year to be going through Techstars and, and, you know, trying to blow this up. Kelsey Davis is the founder of Collective, and I'm biased to them because they're kind of similar to what we do, but they are a marketplace for Gen Z creators of all kinds. So graphic designers, video, you name it. Yeah, music. And so they've created a, a marketplace where brands can come to them and say, we need to create a Gen Z campaign. We don't know how to do it. Like, we don't know how to create the content that's going to speak to these people. And her folks obviously are Gen Z and know how to do that. Where are you today and where would you like to be? Like, what's your dream vision for it? I think it's cheese to say a year or five years. F that. Just your vision. (laughs) Eventually. So we have a team of 10 right now on like the core team, obviously, plus 100 freelancers that we use on all the different projects. And they're incredible. I've gotten so lucky over the past few months, we've had a lot of shifts on the team to where and and hires where we've ended up in a place where I feel so confident about the leaders of each division and the teams they've built and our super clear vision about where we want to go. I mean, we want to be a super profitable company that loves what we do, is a really best-in-class solution for clients that is constantly getting people work and providing a community for freelancers because, you know, any industry that's freelance-based can be really lonely. And yeah, obviously there is a potential exit where we are acquired or have a strategic investment, especially from one of the big players in audio, but, you know, any media company or agency who really wanted to make a big splash and sort of put their foot into audio world in a big way, you know, could make sense for them to team up with us. So that's definitely a possibility. But this year is our building year. I mean, we want to triple our revenue and all that good stuff. But I think this year is definitely a building year. We are building, you know, new dashboards for the client side and the creator side and internal database that will eventually have an AI powered algorithm of how we do the matching for each job. Yeah. So we got plans. We got things we need to do. And then maybe next year it would make sense to start to look at, you know, larger partners for a bigger vision. And what are some of the things that you've done while growing your company that have really worked? You're like, oh, and then you're like, let's do more of that. Because there's, I mean, I think the thing that we don't, like, we don't want to see as a culture of entrepreneurial people is that the majority of things that we do will not work. (laughs) And unfortunately, that is the truth. And it's a very painful truth, but it is the truth. So what are some of the key things that you've done that really worked that you scaled up? Hiring the right person for the job sooner than you need them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it was such a stretch when I brought my head of production on a couple years ago and and made her like full time sooner than I was ready to. But it was the right move, especially with the kinds of clients that we were working with out of the gate, you know, the Samsungs and Twitters and Netflixes of the world. Like we had to be super professional and appear much bigger than we were at the time from the very beginning and paying someone for branding. And, you know, like it really does matter the face you put out into the world. And we're now like doing a whole website revamp, which I can't wait for. So it'll actually be a product flow to help you figure out what you need. But putting that first foot forward and making sure that we're presenting something that, you know, would work for best in class clients, I think saved us a lot of time. Whereas I see a lot of folks start out in the industry and they're not charging enough or they're working with really small clients and it takes them so much longer to build up and 
So I think that, you know, getting the right team in place and making sure that your branding is on point from the very beginning is really, really important. And two last questions. What's a huge thing that you wish you just didn't do at all? Well, I did try hard to find a co-founder and I wasn't able to at the time, which in hindsight was probably better because we needed to get going. Like the audio industry was moving and we got out in front of it. And if I'd waited until I found the right partner, then I probably wouldn't have. And now that we're shifting focus to become a product company from a services company, I actually need a different co-founder. Now I need like a product focused co-founder, which, you know, I hope to find this year. So I did try. It didn't happen. It was a very long three years, or it's been a long you know, few years being basically the sole executive. But now I do have an executive team in place, finally. And so a lot of that stress has been relieved, and it's given us the bandwidth to find the right product-focused co-founder going forward for their next phase of our company. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise, but I was so tired for the first couple years. Like, there were no vacations. There was no not checking your email for years. And I know that's everyone's story who starts a company, but it doesn't make it any less exhausting. Completely and utterly agree. So I have a selfish question that I like to ask everyone uh, because I am obsessed with productivity tools. What is your favorite app, website, hardware, it can be anything. Yeah. So hands down, it's called To Do, and it's spelled French, like T-E-U-X-D-E-U-X. Oh, yes. It's so affordable. I don't know what it is, like 20 bucks a year, maybe 30 bucks a year. But it's the only productivity slash to-do list app I've ever stuck with. And I've been using it for at least five years now. I'm obsessed with the way it works. There are little cute Easter eggs. Like when you check something off your list, a rainbow cat flies across the screen, (laughs) like success. It's just the UI is so simple, but so intuitive and pretty. I'm obsessed with it. I use it every day, all day. So I could be wrong. So everybody, like, there's a possibility that I'm wrong, but I think it's female-founded because I've had it for years, too. And I feel like some of the emails I received, I think it's female-founded, but I could be wrong. It wouldn't surprise me, though, because, like, it's like someone in my brain designed it. <laughs> I don't know. It's so good. I'm obsessed. I have to get back to using to-do list. That is a good one. And we'll include it in the show notes for everybody. What is one of your favorite books that you've read? Ooh, nonfiction or fiction? Whichever comes to mind for you. Give or Take, or Give and Take, I think by Adam Grant, is my favorite nonfiction because it discusses how being generous can actually benefit you from a career-wise and and everything-wise in the long run. And I just love that idea. But it also teaches you how to not be a taker. Obviously, that's intuitive, right? If you take and take from other people, eventually you'll burn those bridges and you'll be left with nothing. But the opposite of that is someone who gives too much and, you know, also is left with nothing. And learning how to walk the middle of that road and be a super connector for no reason other than you know it's going to come back to you eventually. You don't know how it will, but you know that it will. And to that end, like, the book Giftology that just came out, where it's like strategic corporate gift giving and doing it in a smart way, where same thing, you're not expecting anything back, but these little thoughtful moments where you give something to someone, like they come back to you in the end. Mentoring, you know, is obviously a no-brainer. So yeah, Give and Take by Adam Grant is my favorite, I think, and it has been for years. And so how can people connect with you? 
I probably use Instagram the most, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-K-I-N-G, just Rachel G. King on there. But I'm also Rachel at podpeople.com, R-A-C-H-A-E-L at podpeople.com. Or if you just want to reach out to the company generally, hello at podpeople.com is perfect. The last question that I'll ask because I think it would be helpful to you because you never know where it could lead is we have so many people listening to the show. If there's one ask you have, something the community could do to support and elevate you and accelerate your success, what would that ask be? Oh, yeah. Follow Pod People on Instagram. It's P-O-D-P-P-L. And you'll actually be doing yourself a favor because all we do is highlight the best things we're listening to, mostly that our community members have worked on. So if you are looking for off-the-beaten-path shows, you know, things that aren't just The Daily and This American Life, which are incredible shows, but, you know, everybody knows about, that's a great way to get podcast recommendations. And we love having more folks in our community. Plus, then we'll be top of mind when you might need help making your podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more awesome people in the LA Tech community. Remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. Wearelatech.com slash community takes you straight to the Facebook group. Say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much. This is Rachel King. I'm the CEO and founder of Pod People. We're the on-demand workforce for audio production. I am based in the Fairfax district, and you are listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Anna Freebay. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.